Greetings, people. It is I, the ridiculous, rambunctious, vulgar, and unfunny Neil Bailey for another episode of Ampersand and Sons with my friend Julian Finn. Hello, Neil. How are you? Oh, I am I am rambunctious. I am ridiculous. <laughs> I am vulgar. But I think it was pretty funny in that last review. I think I did an okay job. I'm kind of pleased with myself. So I didn't have a chance to read the review, and I was tempted to read the review and use it as my summary um, to to respond to this episode via, and I'm glad I didn't. I'm going to read the review later on tonight and, and see where I land on, on your takes. But in our interpersonal chats immediately after you watched the episode, when you were basically ready to hang yourself from, from what I could gather... <laughs> um, I I uh, I feel going into this that while we're both disappointed in the episode, um, we are going to come to fundamentally different conclusions about particular scenes. Well, I I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't ready to hang myself. I actually don't get too emotionally involved, but there is one thing that did happen in this episode that I write about in the review that I think is a pretty big deal. Um, and I'm curious about the disagreement, um, but, you know, in, in the review itself, uh, until it got to that point, mainly I riffed on gun fridges and um, talked about that weird moment where Clark, to get his son's attention, breathes on his face. <laughs> and, and, which, which, and, uh, which, I, which I adored. I thought that I, was fantastic. I thought it was real creepy and weird, but then as I write in the review, I actually got up as I was writing the review and tried it on Milo. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and Milo goes, you warmed my face, Daddy. And it was a sweet little moment. And I was like, I thought he was going to run away from home. But no, apparently that is endearing. When my uh, daughter was younger and she would have temper tantrums, I twigged to the fact that nothing irritates a child more in the context of them being upset, though weirdly when they're in a good mood, this is just great fun, than getting hit in the face with water. So we had a <laughs> we had a spray bottle for the cat that we used to use to like get it to not climb Christmas trees and stuff. And that became the tantrum interrupter bottle. Anytime she'd freak out, I'd just <laughs> shoot her in the face with it. Um, and so that, that moment had resonance for me. Um, okay, so before we summarize... Um, I want to say two things about this season of this show and where it appears to be going. One, like you, I was completely bamboozled by the super obvious twist that they had in place. All of our speculation as to what was going on with uh, one particular character turned out to be for naught, and it was a super obvious thing, although the way they framed it in the flashbacks that occur in this episode exposed a giant plot hole, um, which made me scratch my head a fair amount. And what is happening to this show right now is exactly what I was worried about back in episode two would happen when they stopped focusing on the family stuff and started focusing on the Superman stuff. They are, you know, I think... I think the problem is less because they focus on the family this episode quite a lot. I think the oh, problem that's, a, is that's that an unfortunate uh, phrasing. They, but okay, go ahead. Oh yeah, Ugh. yeah. <laughs> no, uh, many apologies for the phrase. Are we doing phrasing? No, but the <laughs> the um, the way that they they did it was through plot, you know, through actions instead of character beats. There were so many. One of the things that I go into in the review 
uh, without delving too much into spoilers, is that there's this bit where where Jordan has some stuff they could dwell in, and instead of dwelling them dwelling in it, they use it as a catalyst for some arbitrary drama, and that is rather unfortunate because there's so many there's so many springboards here that could be used to make episodes like they did for the first three and for the fifth, where it's where everything kind of springs organically from the characters, and instead they're like, we must get to this plot beat, so we are going to make it happen no matter what each character has to do in order to make it make sense. And that's well, this, this, this episode was all plot, um, and to the point where some of the dialogue was, especially from Morgan Edge near the beginning of the episode, was so catastrophically heavy-handed and stupid in its attempts to... Uh, draw thematic parallels with him coming just short of saying, Mwahaha, Lana, I need you to find me some people that want superpowers. Um, like, it was, it was extremely, extremely, extremely heavy-handed in the plot, which, again, like, that was my concern. The second they flipped the switch and felt the need to go full throttle, and it's happening earlier than I'd anticipated... Uh, but the second they felt the need to go full throttle on the Superman element rather than the Smallville family dynamic, small town community, what is it like for this version of Superman to be raising kids that are teenagers in this environment at this time? Like, it, it's playing out exactly how I was worried it was playing out, so I was kind of prepared for it because I knew they'd indulge in that. And my hope is, is that next season they make it smaller. There's, there's a point in early on in the episode, and I remark about it in the review a little bit, where Lois literally says something along the lines of, now I know that we've already been over this a couple of times already, but, and then she just blatantly uses exposition to explain the dilemma to the audience. Yes. And as much as, as much as I understand that if you're going to do a clumsy, clunky plot that doesn't follow from the character's motives, you have to walk their hands through it, um... Well, that, you also, okay, you also I, don't have to treat your audience like they're stupid. I'm and gonna that's take, the thing I'm that gonna, insulted I'm going to push back at that a little bit because I don't find the plot clumsy. I find the plot exactly the kind of epic I thought they were going to strive for. It reminds me of middling Superman comic adventures, which isn't necessarily a terrible thing. What I found, though, was that the plot is discordant to the themes they've built on the show. Well, the plot itself, unlike the last episode, the plot followed from A to B to C in, in 6. In this one, and the review goes into it, so it might be better if I summarize a little bit and we jump into spoilers, but in this episode in particular, none of the plot is coherent, nor does it follow from even the things they forced into the characters' mouths. The reveal is excellent. The twist yes. is magnificent. But none of the characters are acting rationally. None of them. But the um, twist is the twist is blown apart by the massive plot hole that it then reveals. Well, let's let's uh let's go into spoilers. Let's no, no, with your, no. Let's your... let's let's summarize. Let's summarize. Okay. For well, you s give it a summary. Go for it. I'm, uh, I suck at it. I will do my best to summarize. So things are heating up in Smallville. Morgan Edge and uh, and and his his personal assistant slash uh, sidekick Leslie Lar. Um, are having a rough time getting the ex-Kryptonite out of the ground. 
Um, so they hatch a plot to uh, extract a small amount and transport it out of the state to see who shows up to follow so they know who's interfering with all of their dastardly deeds. Lana Lang is assigned to create a leadership uh, team recruitment thing that is the most heavily handed shorthand for Morgan Edge is trying to recruit people to dose with X kryptonite to give them superpowers. Uh, I, I could possibly have imagined it was. Wait, it was, what? Yeah. Um, and um, uh, Jordan, stemming from the uh, seizure of uh, the last episode is having a Smallville Season 2, Smallville Season 3, wrestling with the ramifications of a particular power and learning how to master it moment. All to the backdrop of Captain Luthor finally revealing his his plan to get Superman out into the open so that he can done murder him. <laughs> is that a fairly accurate summary? Yeah, kind of. It's not that you're wrong. It's that there's, it just, I'm seeing this plot in this, you know, it's like I'm beautiful minding it or seeing the code of the matrix. I'm sitting here like, oh my God, you know, and I'm just realizing more and more how nothing follows, you know, like it's not, this is okay. So here I am actually starting to get a little agitated about it like i i you know like i rant and i rave in the review and it doesn't actually bother me and i'm actually a little frustrated right now genuinely at how dumb this plot thinks we are <laughs> no and that's fair to 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 give credit to the plot itself it's not a sentient being uh if it were it would be insane and so it's not if it were i would fight it with a knife yeah this is this is a writer's (laughs) room operating under a showrunner's mandate to deliver a result and this was the result that we got now that's what i don't get though like like if this if it was but if if it were that like what happened with the first four episodes? How did we get such good episodes then? And I think like, I think we'll get I think we'll get more good episodes because I think they're going to take a breather from the events of this week and reground everybody because they kind of have to because they can't just escalate endlessly. And this was a big episode as far Boy, as I hope so. Yeah, um, but guys for real if you haven't watched the episode don't listen past this point the spoilers will be dropping fast and furious and a couple of them massively impact the season long arc of the story so if you don't want to hear that stuff now is the time to go and park in front of your tv for 43 minutes and watch it and uh yeah and and then come back and discuss it with us so All go right. away if you haven't watched the episode. Uh, okay, here I go. Wait, Whoa. no, I saw Whoa. it, I saw it. <laughs> okay, so before we get into the egregious stuff, <laughs> what'd you like this week? Because I liked a lot. There was a lot here that I really dug. The twist is brilliant and it usurps, uh, I would say, expectations and particularly white expectations. Um, in a way that is brilliant and that I haven't seen before, and I really liked it, and I liked the fact that I was tricked, I liked the fact that it made me question myself and made me examine my own motives, I think that there is, that is unique, um, in in this particular case, um, I think it is, it is 
awesome um, that I'm still thinking about that and I will still be thinking about that in how I craft story myself for years to come, even yeah. after I've long forgotten the terrible plot of this episode and what it means to make a certain character black when they were white in the canon and how people are going to react to that and what that means and what it means you can do with story to subvert expectations. And I think that was just done brilliantly here because it it, it's, uh, it is rare that my plot sense doesn't see a thing coming a mile away. And I know I brag about that, but that's one of the few things I kind of come by and, honestly. I've read okay. and made enough story that I see things coming. And and what's brilliant about it is not only in hindsight is this twist super obvious, um, they give you a chance to understand it at the midway point of the episode, what's going to happen. Uh, well, see, that and I got. And like, did you when Clark yeah. was in the trailer? The minute he entered the trailer and it said Captain Luthor, I knew it was John Henry Irons, and I have the note to prove it. All but, right, all right. But, um, but until then, there is absolutely nothing to cue it that isn't like it, it was. So the suit is the Shack suit. Like literally, yeah, you're yeah. sitting there. It's the Shack steel suit. How yeah. do you not see that? Unless and you're the, and the episode, Luthor, but the episode is called Man of Steel. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God, the episode and, and and he debuted obviously in the Man of Steel comic book, and he's a bald black dude. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um, it never. It never crossed my mind that. I, I, I mean, we got an AI who's an unreliable narrator, right? Like, yeah, it just it right. never crossed my mind that this was a thing that was possible. And yeah, it's it's storytelling expectations. Uh, sorry, I guess we should say what the twist is. So it turns out that Captain Luthor is not Captain Luthor. Um, he is John Henry Iron Steel, who was introduced in the uh, Death of Superman arc. And uh, shows up here complete with his traditional uh, suit of silver armor and hammer. Yeah. Um, and is a brilliant inventor and presumably has made all these pieces of nifty technology that uh, that we've seen along the way that we kind of questioned. And it makes absolute perfect sense. And I did not see it coming and it was wonderfully done. So that's that's what I love. But now I'm real eager to see your hear your plot hole though. If wait, you wait, don't wait. have the things that you love. Wait, wait. We'll we'll get we'll get to things that I love. So I loved that. Um I loved, 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 loved the moments between Clark and Lois when they're sitting out in the truck and they're they're sort of mapping out their game plan and she's about to go and meet <clears throat> who we think is Luthor, but who is John Henry Irons, and I'm just gonna call him Irons from now on. Or Steel. Um, and, um, I loved as much as we'd seen it repeatedly in Smallville. I loved the Jordan trying to master an individual new power beat. I think minus the fact that they tied it to an arbitrary introduction of romantic subplot <laughs> that was unnecessary and out of character for everyone involved. Um, I think it was handled better than Smallville ever handled the same trope. Like, you really got the anguish and angst of oh. this experience. You really got Clark's anguish and angst watching Jordan going through these pains and trying to help him master it. Um, thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly dug that. I loved the flashbacks, although the flashbacks reveal the giant plot hole. 
Um, <clears throat> I loved the the whole idea that in Steele's universe, Clark was basically a Manchurian candidate. He was just an advanced force for a bunch. They, they basically did. If you've ever read Invincible, I don't know if you've watched any of the show yet, but they basically did the plot of Invincible where the Kryptonians send somebody to pose as a hero before subjugating the planet. That seems very familiar. I um, I like think I loved that, uh, I loved all that. I think that I I agree with you on all of it except for the bit where it's like uh, where you mentioned that it's not like Smallville because I think this is the first time that they took the the Smallville style uh, romantic drama or more like dysfunctional romance drama and ran. Yeah, with it no, no, it. the romance thing was catastrophically stupid. But the the point I was making is that that beat. The young Kryptonian learning how to use a newly emerged power and suffering through it. Um, even the fact that that particular power happened to be the exact thing that he and his brother needed to save the day at the end of the episode in true Smallville fashion, where when Clark <laughs> develops heat vision, all of a sudden that becomes relevant to the plot of that episode. Like... I could see the mechanics of the writing on that, and I still didn't care because it was so yeah. well executed that I was just here for it. So well, that I'm the, with you. That's here's, cool. That... Here's, here's the plot hole it reveals for right. me. Unless I missed something while I was watching it, and it's possible that I did because it's been a crazy couple of days. The first time we see a flashback to Steele's home universe... It's to set up the relationship between him and Sam Lane. Steel is a soldier. Superman appears to be acting alone. And the United States military is banded together to fight him off. Sure. They've got those dog tags with the Superman S on them, etc., etc., etc. Right? Mm -hmm. That seems entirely thrown out the window by what we just saw, where John Henry Irons is working underground alone with stolen tech to develop a way to stop Superman on his own. I'm betting that, well, see, I just saw it as it either comes way before or way after. Like, he, Superman attacks, Steel joins, well, John joins the, uh, joins the military, the DOD, to try and stop Superman. He fails. The world is being destroyed. He cobbles together a battle suit and finds some way to another universe. That's the kind of the, time the reason I saw it. In my the head. reason it doesn't follow for me. The reason it chucks the big plot hole thing, and they will obviously try to resolve it somehow because they need to justify why they've turned uh, Sam Lane into a twaddle for no apparent reason. <clears throat> um, the reason it doesn't play is we saw easily 10 Kryptonians in that opening scene where Superman goes all Omni-Man. Yeah. Right. It would take 10 Kryptonians about an hour to subjugate all of planet Earth. <laughs> I agree. Unless, like, you know, like there's, 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 there's lots of elements there. Maybe they had Kryptonite after Lois said, get Kryptonite! It's the green thing that kills them. Yeah. Um, and maybe just, Superman's all that's left. You know, there's a million different ways they could go. It seems like a plausibility hole to me more than a plot hole. It, it just feels like something that they're going to have to explain away later in, in a way that's going to be unconvincing. Like, it was really cool. It was, like, really freaking cool. But it was cool in such a traumatically dumb way for the long-term gestation of the story they've been building that, right. like, it, it was immediately jarring. I was like, wait a sec. 
I'm, is- I'm, I'm way more... The motivations are what got me here for this whole episode more than necessarily the the beats of you know like that like the, what could happen in the future what yeah. did happen in the past. But I'll um, but I'll t- I'll tell you this: the thing that bugged me more than the thing that I know bothered you to your core, and that you're <laughs> wrong to be that bothered by, because the moment that you're bothered by is actually thematically earned over the last three episodes. Um. The moment that bugged me the most in this episode came right near the beginning, and it was Morgan Edge talking to Lana Lang on her first day on the job, basically standing in front of her screaming out a list of qualities that he needs in his leadership recruits, where had he just said, oh, and by the way, these people are going to be part of my evil plot to give human superpowers to take out Superman, it would have been totally fine in context with that scene. Like... There was, like, the writing there was so ham-handed and clumsy and so obviously designed to give Lana a clue based on what Lois had just told her about what Morgan Edge's plan probably was, that, like, it it was the definition of mustachio-twirling expository dialogue. It was painful. Let us begin the airing of the grievances, then, because, um, yeah, that... Um, not just the mustachio twirling, the fact that Morgan Edge has no motivation, really, in this episode. Like, his entire plot is coherent. But that alone, like, the five dudes who are definite, or five people, not dudes, five people who are definitely not going to become evil super soldiers, the problem is, they're not that stupid. Everyone involved knows that this is Morgan Edge picking his five super soldiers, and therefore... If Sarah continue, or if Lana continues working there, if Lois and Clark don't immediately push things to a head, they are being morally repugnant. And that's the problem. You could create a situation where they don't know and Morgan Edge is scheming that way, but if Lana knows, Lois knows, Clark knows, and therefore it follows, they must take care of that problem, or they must be so stupid that they're perfectly willing to let Morgan Edge torture and hurt people when people have already died and that's out of character. So there's that. That's thing one. Thing two with Edge is that he is supposedly, the entire thing this episode is that he wants to move XK, and that's just utterly incoherent on every level. He has a significant quantity of XK. He doesn't need to get a quantity of XK out. If he did, he has Lar to move it so fast that even Superman couldn't see her because. Imagine me trying to track you running down the street with the shipment. You and I are equivalent in powers. It doesn't track, right? Yeah. But even if you're thinking Superman can hear her, she can tunnel under the ground because she has super speed and get any amount that she needs out of there. Or, or get this, if the premise of your show is that Superman can't enter those mines because it's leadlined and he doesn't know what's going on there and therefore the plot cannot proceed and he cannot nail edge to the wall your mri machine can be right next to your xk and there's no reason that it wouldn't be it's all utterly incoherent the fact that you have these people traveling in a truck with a van and automatic weapons and they do nothing when superman appears they don't call anybody when they have leslie lar who can be there and deal with things they see lex luthor or john henry irons with an automatic weapon and do nothing the driver stops and, and radios in and says, hey, I think we have a problem. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, there's that. That's the, the Morgan East, Edge side East, of it. So East, Houston, East Houston, we have a problem. Right. That
that plot is crap, right? And then you have Lois and Clark being as dumb as sin, and it gets um it it gets really bad. So like Lois has a rational reason to suspect John. She believes that he has he lied to her about his identity. And as I hammer in my review over and over and over again, Lois Lane is put in the position of sitting down with another human being. And this human being, you know, this is the Lois that's married to Superman, by the way. Remember that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Lois Lane and Superman with Clark Kent as his alter ego. She sits down with a man who she knows to be of relatively good intention, and his only crime has been having some tech that she doesn't understand, and he says to her, I am doing good. I am defeating a man who wants to destroy the world, and the only thing he's done wrong is adopt a pseudonym, a secret identity, if you will, and then she decides he's a villain. And yeah, goes so, with that. so her reaction, I, I don't understand the choice when she gets told that his name is John Henry Iron. That too. Her yes. reaction in that moment made me expect that we are living in a uh, timeline where they have already met Steel. And so she recognizes that name for some reason because she immediately freaks out and like gets in contact with Clark. Like this is a big profound moment for her. And nope, it was just he lied about his name, which she already knew. Well, they had to, what they did was they were like, we've got to get the whole family into this scene, so they do that yeah. BS. No, but they that, do the thing that, with the boys that doesn't but make that sense. But that reaction, either. that reaction in hindsight was she already knew that he lied about his name. She knew when she confronted him that he wasn't who he said he was. Okay? Yes, and it's out of character wait, wait. for her to be mad about that. Wait, but her reaction to that can only be in hindsight. I am furious that not only did he lie to me about his name, but that he has one. Right. Yes. Like I don't, I don't understand her reaction in that moment in any other way that makes sense. Like she reacted as if she recognized the name. Right. She already had the information that he wasn't who he was claiming to be. Her her reaction and subsequent actions make zero sense. Well, they, they wanted to get the whole family there, so that's what they did. They were just like, oh, make her suddenly urgent, and they did the same thing with the boys. There is no logical reason for the boys to hear their dad being hurt and go, I and my truck are the only things that can possibly save Superman from another human being, you know? Like, there's nothing there that's coherent other than... You know, like, the, the thinnest thread that you have is, I want to go and be close to someone I love with their in when they're in danger, but that is far overwhelmed by the fact that they've been cautioned to stay away from danger, number one, and the fact that Superman can take bullets and has never been in any real danger and is not in any real danger from a human being with a hammer. If 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 they were to listen, it would make... But, but, but beyond that, step back, step back, go all the way back to... Like, when Lois gets the secret identity thing from John, like, I have a secret identity, you awful human being, right? Then she she is told by him that he has information that will nail Edge, right? The yeah. thing that she needs to do, the thing that the whole town has to do. And in Sid, she hears that there's this shipment going on. She's got to find out where the shipment is. And she has Clark Kent standing outside doing nothing. Clark does nothing this whole episode until the end. And she could be like, hey, you know, guy who can move super fast, go to where the shipment is, monitor it from space, 
And that makes sense, and Lois is smart enough to say that, and then I'm just going to sit down with this dude in this public space that is totally safe and get the information about Edge, but no, she abandons him, basically negs him a little bit, you know, like, 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 you're an awful human being and I don't trust you because you have a secret identity, and then leaves with Clark, and then they have this weird incoherent scene where Lois and Clark are driving after this thing, like, they're not gonna notice Superman, but they're, they're not gonna notice, they're gonna notice Superman, so Superman can't tail them, but they aren't gonna notice, you know, like, the little farm truck, like, do 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 with Lois Lane, the person that's probably on every poster in every Edge facility from here to Kalamazoo, and then, Clark gets out of the truck and smashes that van and leaves it somewhere and then comes back and changes into Clark. Like, why does he change into Clark? And then they they just walk up to this dude who Lois has just spent an inordinate period of time going like, you're dangerous, you're terrible, you're awful, and he's got an automatic weapon and they're both supposed to be vulnerable human beings and they just walk up like, oh, hey, John, or, you know, like, hey, Captain Luthor, or like, hey, whatever his alias is, it doesn't even matter. They're just completely, they don't, have any danger sense about it and nothing follows nothing yeah. follows julian wait a minute oh my god the vein in my neck but you know like like you know it funny. makes any sense you know it's funny so what i what? for most of that stuff i was able to <laughs> turn my brain off because right. what i was watching wasn't superman and lois from three weeks ago it was just cool comic book stuff, and I was fine with that. <laughs> it, no, no, but it was still, yeah. it was still on balance, not making any sense, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Poor characterization choices, all that stuff. I'd still watch this episode of Superman and Lois a thousand times before I ever watch uh, the Snyder cut of Justice League again because it was entertaining. Well, right? yeah, like, of course. No, but that's that. No, but that that's well, that's why I forgave stuff like that. It the was trying that, to respect the source material. Yeah. Where I got cranky was the blatantly dumb out of place stuff. So for me, the the biggest sins this commits, this episode commits, is Morgan Edge's dialogue at the beginning. The weird little Sarah Jonathan arbitrary wrote like she has no reason. Okay, so I don't know that Sarah's expressing any interest in Jonathan in that scene or if she's just being friendly and trying to repair the damage from the night that he was drinking. That's how I read that scene. I think we're supposed to feel like there's arbitrary romance happening there because John is being catastrophically stupid and because of Jordan's reaction to it. But I don't get any vibes from Sarah that she actually has any sort of romantic interest in John whatsoever. I don't think and hope that that is a plot that they are going to walk down. But that whole thing was, it yanked me out of the entertainment because it was five minutes of unnecessary schlock that added nothing to the story other than to let Jonathan know that Jordan had the ability to hear real far away so that they could use that to track his dad. Like it was, it, it was a, it was a moment to service a later point in the plot that creates problems. So that's the second thing that egregiously bothered me. The third thing, and I'm going to go full freaking both comic book nerd and physics nerd here. John Henry Irons is a moron. And the writers of this show are just catastrophically ignorant of the canon of this character. If they think pointing some red sunlight flashlights at Superman are going to instantly depower him. 
They have a, that's that's been in the comics before. I don't like it as a device necessarily, but I'm willing to accept it if they're like this is what it is. I'm not, and I've not, I haven't been willing to accept it on uh, in the comics either in the past for the simple reason that he is still on Earth, and Earth is bathing constantly, even yes. at night in the particular type of solar radiation that he needs for his powers to work, just standing in a localized area <laughs> of red sunlight doesn't negate the fact that every single square nanometer of the planet is saturated in yellow solar energy. Well, he also has a charge that lasts for a while, too. Sure, I'm gonna, sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to reel you back a little because, you know, the Sarah John thing. What, yeah. What's that? Okay, no. fine, fine, fine. Go ahead. But I want to, I want to come back to red sunlight because that was the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I think so. So let me do this. Let me dovetail back into Sarah a little bit, and then we can do the entire last scene, and then the thing that I don't want to talk about but feel morally obligated to. All right. Um. So there's three bits to the Sarah and Jordan scene that make it frustrating. There's the first scene which is badly constructed, which has Sarah getting absolutely livid and shrewish for no apparent reason because John, uh, Jordan has skipped a day of school. As if, like, any normal person would go like, oh, they missed a day of school, he must be sick. Or, you know, like, no, she immediately, I, she I, immediately I, becomes not Lana. She no, jumps no, straight to I, Lana like, oh, you I, must have a secret, right? You're wrong, you're wrong, so, you're wrong, you're wrong. So that, that behavior is totally warranted. So... This is maybe maybe you could make the argument for she suspects something. No, except at the I end of last at the end of last episode, she makes a point, and they have a scene that makes a point of Jordan is showing her the video. She is not persuaded it's anything, and the emphasis is on Jordan and his guilt at having to lie to her to protect the secret. Jordan doesn't that show is, her the that video. That is closed. Jordan, Jordan doesn't show her the video. It's uh, she shows him. Yeah, yeah, she shows him. Right, but it's established that that. That she doesn't suspect, though she no, maybe should. No, no, I disagree with you. I don't think that's what was established because she didn't appear to believe his explanation at all. And as the father of a 14-year-old girl and a witness to how quickly the emotional range of a 14-year-old girl can be reached when provoked... The idea that all of these people are walking around acting as if everything is normal when she has seen what she has seen in that video and everybody's just trying to pretend it's okay is a totally sane, normal reaction for someone that age to engage in. I've seen it, not with that type of provocation, obviously, because superpowers aren't a thing, but there is... She would... She would legit feel like she was living amongst pod people. And so that reaction to me isn't shrewish and out of place. That's that's earned. Even if I concede that, and I can concede that to still support my other point. Okay. Even if I concede that that's perfectly within the realm of a rational response for a teenage girl. Though I, I regard Sarah in, in her level of maturity, given the dysfunction that she's experiencing and how you have to grow up a little bit faster under that kind of stuff, I don't see it. But maybe that is the case. Maybe she has acted out because she's in wonky town. As a writing choice, doing that and then having jo Jonathan be like, 
you didn't notice my cast! You know, like, both characters just seem to jump up to 11 for nothing. And the emphasis, the focus, the thing that just happened that needs to be addressed is that Sarah, the person with suicidal ideation, has just been kidnapped. And they're worrying about Jordan and Jordan's whittle feelings. And as a story choice, that's magnificently terrible. Um... And then, then you have the next scene where all of a sudden she completely 180s. And if we're going with the, okay, teenage girls sometimes do that thesis, which I'm still not entirely sold on, it's she suddenly is okay with it, and then it's it's kind of shoehorned in so that she could put, seem to be romantic with, with Jonathan. But that also doesn't work because for several reasons. The first thing is they've established that Jordan knows that the negative consequences of and condemns when people listen in on other people at length from a distance with super hearing. There was a whole episode about it. That's thing one. Thing two is that Jonathan and Jordan's relationship with Sarah from the start has been Sarah is attractive to Jonathan and Jordan. That's the first scene. They define that. And then Jonathan subsumes himself because he sees that Sarah is good for Jordan and he has always been nothing but a wingman. And he had a sense. girlfriend. And he had a girlfriend at the time. Even so. Even no, but, so. And, but no, but that's important. So I'm I'm gonna interrupt you for a second because yeah, yeah. because everything that you're critiquing here inside that sequence of events, to me is defensible. What is not defensible is that that sequence of events was written in the first place. That's fair like, too. Like everything everything inside that bubble of the plot is like so remember we talked last week about how Jordan's responses to all of a sudden being popular and having this thing that he was good at um are sometimes a thing that uh, makes the symptoms of anxiety subside, and so that naturally tracks. Things start to go wrong for him. He's got external anxieties and internal anxieties from this power that he can't control, and he can't deal with the fact that he's auditorily handi or like handicapped on a sensory level for a brief period of time while he figures out how to adopt to this. Would ramp up his anxiety again, so his emotional reactions to things like, my brother's moving in on my girl, all make sense. John's single now. He found Sarah attractive at the beginning. Maybe he's a little bit flirty. Maybe he's not. He immediately moves to flirt with that other girl. That all follows from the character of teenage boys, regardless of how well they're raised and how they normally act. All of that stuff has a level of verisimilitude to it. It's not schlock. It works. If this were a different show and that scene belonged in it at all. And it doesn't. The sin it commits is putting this little bubble of plot in the middle of this episode solely to buy the moment where Jordan, where Jonathan says to Jordan, hey, you know that thing you did where you overheard me talking to Sarah? Do that again. Yeah. That's the only reason that entire sequence exists. I doubt, given the fact that he's flirting with that other girl that Sarah says is out of his league, uh, will ever see conflict around him well, and Sarah dating again. Um, if we do, it'll be a catastrophically bad but in-character thing to do for kids of that age and that state. Like, I don't have any problems with the behaviors. My problem is the writer shouldn't have done that. The, there's <clears throat> there's another beat there 
where where jo Jonathan, the, the the consummate jock and and easygoing person with other people, suddenly is 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 Jordan when it comes to pretty girls. But broader, um, big picture thing here, whether you know my preference or your preference in terms of like this is within the realm of how teenagers act or this isn't within the realm of how these teenagers would act which is my hot take in the realm of that either way it's not served by using a hammer when a dovetail joint would do what yeah you're trying to do is join things by beating you over the head with it instead of subtly gluing it into place and letting you see that it's a table and that is a sin that that is that's the big sin. It's the not better, the direction the better, that they're going. The better way to accomplish what they were trying to accomplish with that scene, if I'm right, and the Jonathan Sarah thing is never raised again, would have been while Lois and Clark are sitting in the truck talking, waiting for her, or on the drive to wait for her to go in. They have a typical married couple conversation where they hearken back to uh, Jonathan wanting to move to Metropolis and room with his friend and they rehashed that because that plays into the family dynamic and Jordan overhears that and tells Jonathan about it. Yeah. I think that produces there's... produces the exact same result but tracks better with what's already been going on. I think that the biggest problem is just that they they don't it's clear that they had a very solid, strong plan for the first couple of episodes. And now they're like, well, this is the plot we have. And we don't have the time to take it slow and do it right. We have to get it done. They're rushing. It's or, or, or it could be that it's just a writer shift. I don't know. What I do know is that the quality of the writing in particular has greatly deteriorated. Diminished. Yeah, it's deteriorated to the point of where... They're going to have to earn what they earned in the first four episodes, or first three episodes, back with me uh, starting soon. Because now we're reaching a point where we've had three bad episodes and four good episodes. It's almost a 50-50 crapshoot whether or not you've got something that is that is just standard superhero fare or something that is going to have some legs in depth. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite there yet because my bar for this stuff is am i getting a superman that i recognize in an entertaining story yeah right like i can read 20 jeff johns comics in a row and come away completely entertained while still recognizing that there are massive writing flaws in it well what about the uh what about the elephant in the room, or the steel elephant in the room? I suppose uh -huh. you wanna, you, I'll let you go first. On yeah, this and, one then, and then we, I'm gonna and hold then we my head. And then we should bring the kids in, and then wrap up by quickly talking about the bit of um, Jupiter's Legacy that you've watched. Indeed, yes. And All you right. know what? I just realized now, in the middle of this podcast, and I'm going to feel like an idiot for it, that Milo has not yet watched the episode. So, I will probably interview Ben, as we missed Ben last week, and we'll give Ben double service if this works for you, and then next okay. week I'll have you interview Milo twice! Okay, perfect. Because that I'm on top of things. I'm in Canada and moving tomorrow, so, anyway. That but works, yeah. That works fantastically. Okay, Carry so on. I'm, I'm going to describe the scene that you take such umbrage in, Yes. and I'm going to frame it in a way so that you understand exactly why I'm disagreeing with you in your assessment of it. Okay. Okay, so Superman has just had the crap pummeled out of him under the nonsensical 
uh, effects of red sunlight uh, by Steel. And there's no consistency in that fight scene because if we're believing Steel's narration while he's beating the stuffing out of Clark with his hammer of, of totally not Thorness, um, Clark should be dead. Like, from that blow that he took to the chest, like, that should have been game over, done. And so Clark is beaten pretty much near to the point of death and is rescued by Jordan and Jonathan crashing through the wall of this facility in the family truck. Um, and he waves at the kids to destroy the red sunlight emitters, and he does, and then he super speeds over to a knocked-down prostate, uh, John Henry Irons, and goes crazy heat vision like he's about to incinerate him, um, but with Lois's help, regains control of his composure and does not, in fact, murder the unarmed black man. <laughs> I don't think that that uh, that makes what I think about it any better. <laughs> no, but there's there's some beats in there that tie back to what they've thematically been doing with Clark and Jordan's relationship that make that moment where he go he's about to go full heat vision after almost dying at the hands of this person who poses a real danger from what he's seen in past encounters to the entire planet. Um, it, it, it follows. Now, yes. I will stipulate that it is wildly unfortunate given the law enforcement stand-in role that Superman has historically enjoyed the race or the, ex the exterior perception of race that Superman has versus the race that John Henry Irons is. Um, it is incredibly unfortunate that those dynamics come into play, but the moment itself where he is about to incinerate this person and has to be talked down, if it were any other two people in that scenario, even if one of them's a law enforcement stand-in, this would have been earned by the writing in the good episodes and in the dynamic between um, Clark and Jordan. I think that um I think that we agree actually because I don't think it was an intentional act on the part of the writing. I think like the Twin Towers, it's just this thing that we're like this sounds like a neat thing to do and they didn't think about it. Okay, you need you need to explain the Twin Towers beat cuz not everybody so, <clears throat> has a memory that goes back that far. Smallville did an episode back when Clark was being the Blur and dressing in a black trench coat and running around Metropolis, uh, basically being Superman but being something called the Blur that was for some reason a black suit a la Snyder with a white Superman symbol. And he was fighting Zod, and Zod's big plot was that he was going to build some kind of tower that had an evil property to it, and Clark decided he needed to destroy that tower, so they made the unfortunate decision to rock and music at the end of an episode to have Superman climb on top of a tall building five or six years after 9-11, and uses heat vision in the approximate place where the, where the planes struck the Twin Towers to knock the buildings down and crash them down, 
uh, as a series of reporters and civilians screamed and ran for their lives below. And they thought that, hey, it's a cool beat. It's Superman in black destroying a tower, no doubt. But it ended up being the thing that made me stop reviewing Smallville because I was like, if they are going to be this careless and this tone deaf with what they are doing with these characters, then it's not something I want to be a part okay. of. This so before you dive into your analysis of this scene mm-hmm. from your perspective, can I explain why this is not that? Oh, I already know this is not that, and it's why I'm still reviewing the show and why I'm still there. Okay. Because it has a different context, and it can be read as something that is a commentary. It's I don't think it is. It, it could have... Um, th- there are ways that this could be talking about, as I put in the thing, so so I'm going to actually read the passage because I wrote it seven or eight times being very careful because it articulates exactly my feelings. Go for so it. This, is, this is a good thing to read because it's, it's straight up. Superman, seeing this downed assailant, does the most Superman thing ever. He rolls up on this defenseless dude who legit believes he's doing a noble thing, John, makes his eyes glow red and lifts a fist as if to hit him, and Lois screams, stop, because she really believes that Superman would hit a downed opponent in anger. That is what the plot is telling us. That's me commentating outside of my review. Yes. This makes Lois look dumb, or it makes Superman look evil, one or the other, and both suck. Take that example last episode where I pointed out how one should do the red eyes. Angry God soups right. When you threaten a child and Superman is warning you off is a great example of when to do that. And and, and another sidebar here. That's because he's not threatening that soldier's life. He's warning him off. Now do the exact opposite where it's just red eyes for the sake of cool, completely out of character, and showing the angry God threatening to beat on a defenseless person because, well, why? Yes, it makes sense to be angry when someone hits you with a hammer. You, not Superman. Superman is far past that, and as we learned last episode, he has control of his anger outside of the most extreme situations. This is his character. He is supposed to be the epitome of how best to judiciously apply unlimited amounts of power. Another facet of this needs to be mentioned and addressed and discussed. I feel morally compelled, even though I really don't want the vitriol this will bring my way. And surprisingly, sidebar, it hasn't. And thank you for people getting this. I've written and deleted this thought five or six times because I can just not say this and be quiet, but that would feel like a great personal sin to me. And so, Superman is a white agent of the law. John is a disarmed black man in custody who is clearly no threat. The story has Superman approach that man in those conditions, and threaten him with deadly force. And then I write, I don't think they thought about it, doing it. I don't think this is any kind of statement. And I believe that. I see it as an honest accident, but it's still a problem and a big one. And I stand by that. It's a huge optic problem. They didn't see how this tracked. And the thing is, the good thing is, most of the audience is not going to see this. But I'm sitting here thinking the last thing you want to do with Superman, who is essentially the last good cop, is make him into one of the cops that is going to threaten a black man with deadly force. Okay. Heard. And I don't particularly disagree on, like, the racial undertones of that scene in the current climate are, to put it mildly, not a fantastic writing choice. Dumb as uh, hell is how I'd put it. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's not great. 
Um, here's what I think. So I think that we are getting a version of Supes who is Bruce Banner in the Avengers. Right? In the first Avengers movie, Bruce Banner gets asked what his secret is, like how he's managed to um how, how he's managed to contain a Hulk. Uh <laughs> how how he's managed to 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 keep from being angry. And he says, My secret is is I'm always angry. Right? He's he's learned how to manage that anger and keep it at a low boil. It doesn't boil out of the pot and turn him into the Hulk. But he's he's embraced the anger. And the Superman that we are used to is one who, as you describe him, is past all that and is completely in control. But multiple times in the lead up to this episode with this version of the character, and I think you've missed it, they have shown us that that is not who this version of the character is. He's a version of the character who keeps the anger in check but it's always there. And the reason that they have done that is the way you make Steel a tragic, uh, heroic figure in this story, even though he's ostensibly the big bad next to Morgan Edge, is by making him partially right and then proven wrong by this version of Superman. And the way you get that is if you allow for this version of Superman to careen close to the edge without crossing it. And I think they may even have him cross it. I think what we're going to find is that the unearthed XK is having an impact on his emotions, like black kryptonite. If they go that way, that would make sense. I think um I, I think I think that's what they're gonna do to redeem john's earlier actions and what they're going to do and how they're going to allow the natural comic book relationship between those characters to eventually form is by superman first coming close to or stepping over the edge and then resolving it by the explanation of the unearthed XK having a low-level impact on him and Jonathan coming to understand that this version of the person is not the version from his planet who was just evil. If if they do give Superman an explanation for crossing over that line, I'll forgive this entirely. I think the issue is with me. I mean, I believe that in the DC universe, you would think Batman is probably one of the most angry characters, but I think... Of the, the the way that these characters ha- experience the world, putting myself in their shoes, which you have to to write them or love them, I think that both Superman and Martian Manhunter are probably having a little little bit of a quarrel in terms of existential angst for who is the most angry at human beings. And I think Martian Manhunter is going to win because Martian Manhunter can hear the thoughts and all Superman can do is hear and see yeah all of the awful things that people do. And I think that the thing about Manhunter and the thing about Superman is they're often very dispassionate with their anger because they have to be. And it's not that I don't think that they're constantly simmering with anger. It's that I think necessarily when they go out in that suit, they know that any expression of of too much anger is going to destroy the entire house of cards that the respect 
for their ability to have power without abusing it sits on. And yeah. I think that anyone who writes either of those characters needs to tread lightly around that. And I think that there is a there's a difference between the sin of having Superman get angry and show his red eyes and what happened here. And I think it's profound. Because even if it were just Superman was angry at that guy in that last episode because he shot Superman. Yeah. That Superman wanted to express displeasure. Actually, here is another bridge that I will cross that will probably make you marvel. I think it's more appropriate to have Superman in the rain look down on Batman and say, If I wanted you dead, you'd be there already! (laughs) I think that is a more sincere expression because during that moment he is showing restraint and Batman is a rich white dude wearing armor who is armed to the teeth and prepared to Sure, fight. but ignoring the optics, again, like if we re- if we remove the racial element, and it's unfortunate that this scene occurs in that context, but if we remove the racial element from this, what we've got is a trajectory with this character that mm-hmm. if it's followed through in the way I think it's going to be followed through explains why they're ham-fisting Sam Lane's character the way they are Mm -hmm. and explains why they want us to be so sympathetic to John Henry Irons, even though from our perspective, he's wildly wrong. I think that they are going to walk that XK has an impact on him line, like a proximity impact. I think they've seeded that with things like the XK being activated and giving humans powers by, you know, proximity rather than direct contact. I think that um, they've established that this is a version of Superman who has more of a deep well of anger than what we're used to. And I think even that makes sense because we talked about at the beginning of, of the podcast what dealing with a middle-aged Superman with two teenage kids would do to the character. And I suddenly realized in this episode that when you become a parent, and I've experienced this, your moral compass shifts. And your moral compass shifts to one in which you might have thought of yourself as a person who would never do something like, for example, take a life ever in your life. But if your child was threatened, you wouldn't hesitate. You're mostly a pacifist from what I've gathered of you over the years, but I can't see you (laughs) not doing everything necessary to protect Milo from any kind of harm up to and including extreme grievous violence. Um, And... I am am anti-war, but pro-physical response to certain things. Fair. And so I think this answers that question. A Superman who has to protect two boys without letting them know who he is for 15, 16 years is going to be a slightly less hinged Superman than a single one with no kids. I don't know. See, I I, I would look at it like it would be the opposite. He would be growing into maturity and have a lot more composure and control. But those are both equally fine takes on the character you can be like he's more he's more out of but i think right but you know but but hear me out but hear me out so they they established that this is a uh, version of superman 
where the rage simmers a little closer to the surface than what we're used to. And then we get these subplots of Sam Lane suddenly being scared about what Superman can do to the world and John Henry Irons from experience knowing what Superman could do to the world. They're not just telling those pieces of the story both skillfully and clumsily for nothing. It's leading to a direct confrontation where Superman is temporarily going to be the baddie. I don't know that... See, I see this as one of the most measured Supermans I've ever seen. But I do see that... Here's what I think they were trying to do. I think they weren't thinking about the race aspect of it. I don't think they were thinking of the cop aspect of it. I think what they wanted to do was give John a moment where they were like, oh, yes, I was totally right. He is a monster so that he could continue to see that Superman is a problem because otherwise the house of cards falls. You have a Superman who has him dead set to rights and doesn't kill him and doesn't hurt him. And that's the biggest problem with John as he's been presented so far is that he is absolutely certain that Superman is going to destroy the world and that he's awful and evil. And it's very obvious that he is encountering a different Superman who is benign. But it's, he but thinks it's he's not. A sleeper but, agent, it's, but it's not. And they established that in this well, episode via the flashbacks right. because sure. he lived in a world where he and everybody else had that same absolute yes. certainty about that Superman. And that Superman turned out to be Omni-Man from Invincible. Right, so that's, I get that, that he's a sleeper agent. But then when he's not the sleeper agent, John, as 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 he's been shown, I mean, I know he's blinded by grief, but it doesn't make sense that a person who is behaving like Superman has behaved in this world, that you wouldn't talk to that person. Totally and does. Then go, and I, I'm going to give you a real world example that might get me in trouble, but so be it. Okay. In the climate of the internet over the last 20 years, if a person who is raised with religious faith suddenly loses that faith for whatever reason, mm -hmm. what is the typical behavior that that person then engages in online, whether it's rational or not? Mm, probably... Well, I don't they, know. They cause... start picking fights with religious people and painting that worldview as responsible for all the world's evils, whether it's oh. ahistorical or not, to make that argument. See, I see that as just, or not. that's the internet, because religious people who haven't lost their faith do that all the time, too. They go for out sure. and pick fights for, with atheists. For sure, but what, I, what I'm saying is, is a loss of faith of any kind, religious or not, produces an irrational anger at the thing you used to have faith in. So, sure. But then, like, so say I'm a Catholic, and then all of a sudden I become an atheist, um, because, like, because, <laughs> I don't know, the preacher killed my, killed my, uh, killed my wife, right? Yeah. I'm like, uh, I'm done with this, right? And I go to the next church over, I don't then look at the preacher who looks exactly like my old preacher and assume he's going to kill my wife. No, but what people who, I'm not talking about a shift in religions, I'm not talking about hopping from one to another, you're a person who believes in God, and then the next day you believe that it's a lie. Your reaction to anybody who is 
from your perspective, peddling that propaganda to quote John in this thing is going to be irrational anger and reaction for a while. Maybe. In this particular case, it's heightened by the fact that not only did he lose his faith in this person that everyone in his world had the same level of faith in that people do in this universe, but Superman straight up iced his wife on TV in front of him. Well, and and that's, you know, you can go that character direction. You can be like, he will not believe that Clark is going to be a good person no matter what, and that's fine. I think the larger problem here is that a lack of attention to craft and writing led to an indisputably deeply flawed and perhaps racially charged scene that should not have happened. Sure. There are enough people associated with any production that somebody had to see this. I mean, I am not the brightest bulb that ever lived. I am not a genius of story. I am a random internet critic. And if I see it, then people who are in this, who live in paralytic fear of the optics of things right now, for good reasons and bad reasons, they had to have known, they had to have seen it, there had to be some inkling that there was something wrong here and it went out anyway. No, I I agree with you that the, the optics of it are hugely unfortunate. I disagree with you that it poses a characterization issue for Superman. Um, And I think the biggest evidence that I'm right about what they're intending is if they weren't, the simplest way to resolve the conflict between him and John and then focus on Morgan Edge and the XK soldiers as the real threat would have been for him to not have any kind of flash of anger And after that speech that John gave about how he's just like the image he's projecting is just propaganda, just pick him up off his feet, dust him off and say, I'm not what you think I am and leave him with something to think. And that's what Superman has been so far. And that's why it's so wrong. Like, like the dude who died, the dude who exploded, he's like, wait, no, I want to help you. I know you just tried to burn me to death. I'm here to help you. Tag. He lands. I'm here to save your life and protect you. And that's why I think we are moving towards a moment where Superman crosses that line, not because that is who he is as a character, but because of the influence of the unearthed XK that's all around him. I hope you're right, because this is not a thing that I can forget unless they address it, and it's also a thing that that is, you know, it's it, like the Twin Towers was strike 80 for Smallville, but this is strike one for Superman and Lois for me. Yeah. Um, and, and it's sad that it comes so early and I think it was a, an, an error and, and, um, I but think, I, it, but it, I think it'll go up on the scoreboard as an error, but I don't think it was an intentional error. I don't think yeah. like, they bobbled the ball. I think they just should have made the play and didn't make the play. Um, I think, I think somebody fell asleep in the writer's room that should have waved a flag. Yes, I think and not that and not and not a white flag because that would have sent the wrong image. <laughs> oh God! But I think I think that that these last two episodes, I think that there was someone who really liked uh, Superman with red eyes scaring people and thought it was a cool thing and just hammered it a little too hard. Was it the stride gum guy again? I don't know, I, and I intentionally didn't look, and I intentionally don't look now because I don't want who is writing 
um, or anything they've done before, like, because I felt really bad, and I feel really bad about poking fun at the dude for the stride gum thing, because you take whatever jobs you can when you're writing, and that was, and, that was and not more cool me. And more importantly, here, what I've learned about the way writers' rooms works is the guy that gets credited with writing the episode, he got over, in most cases, he got overruled by a whole committee in a whole lot of places. Like, well, yes, I, and executives. In, in, and... in my Smallville reviewing days, I took great delight every time Genevieve Sparling wrote an episode in tearing apart her, quote-unquote, terrible writing. And then I watched Suits, which she wrote a considerable number of episodes for, and I was like, no, nah, man, she's all right. This was just a an editorial writer's room problem. Well, it's it makes it, it... One of the hardest parts about reviewing comics was knowing what the names of the creators were because they splash it up there, and it's always like Zack Snyder's Justice League. The thing with television is it's great because you don't actually have to pay attention who the writer is. You can just regard it for what it is, and it makes it so that the reviews are a little bit pure. The only time I knew who was writing Smallville was when it was... Uh, Al Goff and Miles Millar because that was like the big thing um but um you know I think later episodes I kind of looked a little bit and was like oh this is the guy who did this as a frame of context but generally speaking I find it services services uh better reviewing if you don't know and the least you know the better um but Anyway, I, I think uh, we should probably... Oh, look at that. I was going to say, we should interview this Ben guy about what he thinks. Yeah, Hello and, then there, ben and, I, guy. And, then, and then you and I should have a quick conversation about Jupiter's legacy the first couple of episodes. Indeed. So hello All there, right. Ben. Hold on, he can't hear you yet. He can't hear me? What? Oh, he's developing super hearing. All right. You take uh, look seat. at you. You got at least a foot taller. <laughs> How'd hello. that happen? How you uh, doing, Ben? Good. Welcome back to the podcast. So we have stuff to discuss, don't we? Yes. yes. So you have you have. Uh, so first, I should probably get your feelings on um, last episode. What did you think of? Uh... I haven't watched that one yet. Oh, okay. Well, have you watched the newest one? Yes. Okay. So, what do you think about the big reveal? It was good. I yeah? actually freaked out in my seat. Yeah? And screamed at the top of my lungs. See, that's the best part of the episode for me. I'm so excited at the potential of having John Henry around. And, and it's like, I, I, I thought that he wasn't going to be a villain. I thought he was an ally in disguise. And I think this is just leading to that. Do you? You think he's going to be a good guy next season? Yes, very much. Yeah, me too. I think he was a good guy all along. And he's just, you know, they're going to go with the he, he misunderstood Superman thing. Which, cool, right? Yeah. What about the other stuff this episode? Did you, what, what, what about like uh, what Lois was doing and what the boys were doing? What did you think of any of that? Uh, John was still acting a little bit too mean. Yeah? Like mean to, mean to who? Jordan. Yeah? Like because uh, he was having such trouble with the hearing? Yeah. What about Sarah? Was Sarah, was Sarah all right or was she mean? What do you think? Yeah, eh, right in the middle? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she didn't notice his cast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but, you know, that's me being goofy. It's kind of a weird thing to get hung up on, not seeing a cast, but I suppose kids being kids. What about, uh, uh, oh, go ahead. I've never had a cast in my life. No. Oh, really? Do You haven't yeah. broken any bones? Nope. 
No, I'll give it time. I broke a bone when I was a kid playing Superman, of all things, believe it or not. Like, I was playing Superman, which was you run up to a tree, you jump off of the highest root, uh, root that you can find, and then you get way up high into the air, and you go, da, 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 and then you land on the ground. Except I landed sideways on my foot and broke my metatarsal. Yeah, right? And then my parents didn't believe me. They were like, you're fine. They made me walk on a broken foot for a month. And I'm like sitting there like, oh, man, I don't feel like Superman right now, but... I tell you, yeah, don't play Superman unless you're willing to get a broken bone from heights. It's, it's, it's worse to play Mary Poppins because an umbrella won't save you. But you play Superman, you jump into the air too high, gravity wins, you know. Do you know the funny thing? What's before, that? Before we were like, I came down here for the podcast, I was watching The Flash. The Flash? Really? Yeah. How's The Flash? Is The Flash good? Yeah. Yes. Yeah? Well, yes. what what do you think is doing better, Superman and Lois or The Flash? I think The Flash is doing better than Superman and Lois. Yeah, a little, <laughs> little, little faster paced. Ah! <laughs> uh, yeah, my dad just read this face. Yeah, no, I know. Well, dad jokes forever. I'm sure you run into your dad jokes with your dad. So, yeah. <laughs> so, what do you think is going to happen next? I'm still hoping that John gets power somehow. Yeah. You still holding out for that? Yeah, I, I hope he becomes nicer. <laughs> I think that I think that that would be. It's weird because sometimes he's really nice, huh? And then sometimes he's just really mean. It's a little inconsistent. Yeah. <sighs> and Jordan, well, Jordan, you know, he's a little bit all over the place, but uh, you know, he's dealing with powers. That gives him a little bit of an excuse. You think he's going to be able to? Uh, you think he's going to get more powers like uh, heat vision and stuff? He already had heat vision, remember? Yeah, yeah, just like that brief burst, and then the one with yeah. his dad. You think he's going to be able to control it? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. All right, so, so what do you think is going to happen with those five people that Morgan Edge is trying to recruit? They're going to turn into evil Kryptonian things. Is it that obvious? And destroy, like, the planet or something. Yeah? Well, what do you think? You think uh, you think Kyle's going to be one of them? Maybe. I, I hope maybe- so. And maybe Edge could be a version of Zod from a different universe. Ooh, that'd be cool. Yeah, you think that maybe maybe Kyle will just chew his gum so fast that it creates a sonic boom and not Superman on his butt. What do you think? <laughs> Is that plausible or implausible? Implausible. Implausible? They shouldn't let me write for the show? Oh, my gosh. I tell you. That's all right. That's okay. I'll stick to writing novels. Well, do you are you, are you excited for next week? Yes. All right. Well, then I think I will hand you back to your dad and say it's good to see you again. And you got to stop growing, man. You're like forty feet tall now. It's crazy. <laughs> bye. All right. Bye, buddy. So <laughs> did did Ben notice the racial tension at the end of the episode? Oh no, no, he's <laughs> not going to notice. That's going to be me and other people who are paying far too much attention. The average viewer is not going to give a single crap, nor should no, they. That's the job you know, of critics. I, I I noticed it. I didn't like it. I lamented the terrible optics of it, but I think that overall the scene served for better or for worse where I think they're headed with this season. Yes. Especially now that we know that this is John Henry Irons. And might I say, probably in both animation and in live action, because we've gotten Shaq for live action, my favorite Mm -hmm. iteration of the character. Yeah. Yeah, so far so good. I yeah. think I think I might be a little oversensitive 
and with good reason. You know, like my my world was destroyed by Superman. But no, like uh, I mean, I spent all of last year just slight sidebar. I spent all of last year in Portland before I moved to Canada to escape the United States, and I use flee and escape consciously um, because I, I I sat there for for the better part of an entire summer watching police beat the living bejesus out of small women and minorities and people yeah. protesting and people not being violent. And so this is a particularly emotionally vested issue for me because I've viscerally seen the awful violence and the and the things that that this this um this lens is based on. But I am perfectly willing to admit that the person who is not closest to this or not close to this or the person who does not see the problem that I see for whatever reason and that's that's very guarded as a statement um, because I'm not saying that there's not an obligation to see it. I'm saying that the person who does not see it, be it for ignorance or a choice or for whatever reason, who isn't latched onto that in the way that I have, is not a villain for not seeing a thing. It's more just that this is such a deeply personal issue to me and is a thing that I feel very obligated to call attention to when I see it, that it is a vital issue for me. But... No, that makes sense. But... But I'm going to pop a pin in that and say Jupiter's Legacy, because that's yes. important, too. Okay, so, new segment. We're going to spend uh, at least until Superman and Lois is done for 2021. Um, we're going to spend a little bit of the tail end of each episode of the podcast talking about another piece of superhero-related media. Um, that is out there in the world, and we've decided to focus our efforts for the uh, the first little while on the deconstructionist media. So the stories that take the standard superhero tropes um, and invert them. They basically ask the question repeatedly that was asked originally in Watchmen, who watches the Watchmen? What do you do when your superheroes are not fantastic? What do you do when people are given fantastic amounts of power, but don't measure that power with great responsibility? What does that look like in practice? What does that do to a society? Um, and we've been gifted with several iterations of that particular genre of superhero uh, media in the last several years. We've been given uh, the Watchmen sequel on HBO. We've been given The Boys. We've been given Invincible. And we've been given um, Jupiter's Legacy. Uh, I would normally consider Zack Snyder's Justice League to be one of those things, but I don't believe that Snyder actually intended his <laughs> to be a deconstruction of the superhero genre. I think he just thinks that's what it is. Um, <laughs> so we decided to tackle the most recent release, which is Jupiter's Legacy. For those of you who don't know, Jupiter's Legacy is a comic book written by Mark Miller, which if I had to sum it up in one sentence is DC's kingdom come told badly. I, you know, I, I, I'm liking it so far. I haven't seen it all. I'm five in. Um, but it seems to me like what if Superman landed in, in 1920, 19, 1910, 
and what if he is now an old man in a world that uh, does not believe in the hero's code? Is kind of the way I kind of see it. Sure. Um, and and it's uh, got a healthy dose of what is this guy's family going to look like and why? Um, it'd be like if everyone, if Superman came out and was Superman, and then the entire family went, hey, you know what? This isn't working. Nobody likes you. You're terrible. Why don't you kill the bad guy? Zack Snyder is right. So, you know, like, why should I like you, Dad? If if Superman's ability to inspire just never came about is kind of how I'm looking at it. It's, at least so far. It might change. It might be like, he turns out to be the villain. Who knows? Um, but I think that it's an interesting premise. And I think it's like the almost the anti-Superman in Lois, but not in a bad way. In a, this is like what would have happened if uh, Superman was a bad dad because, you know, nurture um, <laughs> failed. To, to me, so I watched all of Jupiter's Legacy, and I, I referenced this before when we were doing the Snyder stuff. I was really excited for it to come out, not because I'd read the comic book, but because I have a relative who uh, was involved with the production of the series, and I was super excited because some of the other stuff that he's been involved with uh, constitutes some of my favorite genre TV that's come out in the last few years. Um, and to me... Jupiter's Legacy is the Samuel Pierpont Langley of uh, superhero shows. So, <laughs> if do you, do you understand that reference? Our audience, no, no. Knows. So, I, I just pictured Samuel Pierpont Langley as 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 a guy who who goes and visits Nero Wolf and asks him about orchids, but I'm probably way wrong. So he was an American engineer who was working on a project that you might have uh, have, have have heard of before. Uh, a powered heavier than air machine that could achieve sustained flight. Oh, the the greatest ball of twine in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, the reason that you have never heard his name before is because Samuel Pierpont Langley did not, of course, invent the airplane. Uh, the Wright brothers did. Um, and what makes him notable is he had literally every single ingredient that you would need to be successful at things. Um, the government, like the War Department of the U.S. government, chucked money at him to build a flying machine. The press followed him everywhere. He could hire the best minds and talent out there. Um, and he got beat by the Wright brothers who had none of those things and he disappeared into obscurity. They didn't have um, salt! Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I I look I look at um, Jupiter's Legacy. You've got a comic book property that is written by a brand name in comic books, Mark Miller. If you've seen uh, Kick Ass or read those books, they they've got an audience for a reason. Ditto for Wanted and a couple of other properties he's worked on over the years. You've got the backing of Netflix. Um, who typically do a very good job with genre programming in general and comic book adaptations in particular. Their Marvel series were even the much maligned season one of Iron Fist, a joy to behold. Um, you have what appears to be a talented writer's room, and the whole thing falls flat for me. And the reason I compare it to Kingdom Come is Jupiter's Legacy is really a story about uh, intergenerational conflict. In this case, between two different generations of superheroes. The original generation Golden Age heroes and their children. And the age-old argument of, 
if the bad guys get worse, should our methods in containing them get worse? Is really yeah. the central theme of the show. It's kind of a vibe to it, like, what if the JS- JSA didn't like the JLA and didn't mentor them and was kind of actively like, uh, hey, you know, you're not doing it right. Yeah, and and the, the reason I wanted to start with this one is out of all of the deconstructionist media we've gotten in the last few years, it's the weakest because it doesn't actually know what it's about, right? So Watchmen is obliquely about, and, and sorry, not obliquely, it's blatantly about race in America. Um, it uses a superhero story to explore race in America, but that's what Watchmen is about. The Boys is about abuse of police power fundamentally, and the need for civil institutions and oversight to rule over police power. Uh, Invincible is about what happens when we're disappointed by the legacy our parents leave behind. But Jupiter's Legacy tells a far less interesting story. It's the inverse of Invincible in that it's telling the story of what happens when parents are disappointed by their children which is every generation of people who has ever existed ever. <laughs> well, you're ready for uh, you're ready to be disappointed in your child, uh, or rather, your your podcast partner. I guess is a better way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Um, go ahead. So this is the strange part about it. It seems like ostensibly there's a little bit in there about talking about how it's really sad that the inspiring example of what superman would could mean to the world wouldn't happen if superman appeared it's like talking about the way that people are cynical a little bit but for me my enjoyment of it comes from it not necessarily having anything it's about uh it, it all of the plot follows everything goes from a to b to c to c to c to d and it's just bread and butter there's nothing that's weird or incoherent or out of left field at least so far and it's just kind of like a a fun story and as much as I'm the guy that's like, Superman and Lois must have plot that springs from the character. That's me talking about my ideal or how I would write something or how the thing that I like the most would be. But Jupiter's Legacy is perfectly serviceable as Except, e- except the central conflict of the story, the, centric th- the central thematic conflict of the story, this code mm-hmm. that they're all supposed to adhere to. yes. Do you have any idea why that particular character cares so much about the code? Have they done anything in his character via the backstory? Which, by the way, if you guys are going to watch this show, up until episode 7, when things start to clarify, there's there's two pieces to this show. There's the flashbacks that they're where they're telling a story that leads up to this original generation of superheroes becoming superheroes, which is truly excellent it's exquisite i would watch that show all day long every day for seasons and seasons and seasons and never be bored it's expertly told and crafted and i love it and then there's the stuff that's happening in the modern era with the conflict between that og team of superheroes and their kids that is paper thin on story like they're stretching and stretching and stretching and stretching to make this stuff fill room that winds up being reduced to the code must be upheld the code must be upheld the code must be protected at all costs and do you get five episodes in any idea of why our main character in our our, our superman analog in this show 
gives one fig about the code, except for the fact that he's supposed to be a Superman stand-in, and that's who Superman is. Well, no, but also I don't know what's going to happen to Walter White by the end of even the third season, and that's that's the thing that's stringing me along. That's the mystery I want to wait for. I want to understand why he has this code, why it's important to him, if it's because he's a villain and he has to stick to it to keep his power, if he's a good guy. You know, these are the things that are interesting to me. I do agree, though, that there's a little bit less meat there on the bones for the kids. The son, I just have absolutely, well, I have a little interest in it because... Because I'm hoping he has the arc where he kind of comes back to his father's way of thinking. That's my natural love of Superman. But also, the gal, the daughter. Um, I, I actually find her fairly compelling. Like, the episode of her descent, um, which was the last one I watched, where she just falls into drugs and whatnot. I thought they were going to do... Oh, they're doing another bad girl here. Um, but I actually have some respect for the work that they're doing with her. That that it's They're not just hammering the notes like... She is the party girl who is, you know, the fashion model. They, they, there is some motivation to why she is doing what she's doing, and they show it. Uh, where they could just be like, she's rebelling against daddy and rely on the trope. But her motivation but, is bad. Well, yeah, because she's a bad person, but yeah, that's, kind like... of why I'm, that's kind of why I'm interested in her. Because I think that, here's what I think, here's what I kind of see, and I'm probably, you know, I don't know where it's going. But I see that the son, who has every every apparatus that, that will leave him capable of making the choice to follow the code, is going to be the one that's going to take the easy path. And this daughter, who is pushing stuff up her nose and partying and throwing Lamborghinis, is going to be the one who goes, you know what, this isn't very rewarding, I'm going to follow the, the good path. And it seems like a moral tale waiting to happen. I mean... I guess I, I won't I won't spoil it for you because I've watched the whole thing and anything I say right now will will either twig you to where you're right or wrong or or just demotivate you to watch it and I and I really want you to get to the end so that we can do like a a beat by beat deconstruction of this deconstruction. That but, would be the plan for next week, I'm guessing. Yeah, but uh, it was. To me, watching it, it felt like an anachronism. It felt like a show that doesn't know that it exists in a reality in which we have been steeped in superhero media for the last decade and doesn't know what's already been done in that media and is firmly committed to telling a superhero story in the era of the late 90s, early 2000s. Well, for me, from the start, I've been having a blast, but that's also because... You know, like, if that's the case, if, like, in this sea of things that are similar, the the Invincible, the Watchmen, the um, Jupiter's Legacy, and what was the fourth one that you had mentioned? Um, the Boys. The Boys, yes, in The Boys. And I've read The Boys, but I haven't seen The Boys. Um, I, I think that it's, it, I don't know, I have to watch the rest and rank them up, and I think that's part of the deconstruction that we're going to be doing, is looking at each one and going back and forth. So if folks want to follow along at home... Uh, and they're not, you know, outside of Superman and Lois. It'll give us something to do while we wait for new episodes, and we can talk about it related to Superman and Lois. In this case, it's a good example of, like, what what, what happened if um, Superman went off on a weird, different other path. But I'm not finding it dated. I'm not finding it... um, I'm not finding it bad relative to its peers. I think if if there was one thing that I had to say about it is that it doesn't 
emphasize what it is so much in the first episode very well. I well, think, the, um, the, yeah, the pilot is not great. I think that, but but at the same time, it's weird because the pilot starts as one thing and it ends as another. There's this great fight scene at the end. Um, and you and I disagreed about a point. And like, here's yes. a good thing to yak about. So there's this bit at the end where they're talking, the, the Superman figure. Um, the Utopian is his name. The Utopian, yes. Is telling his son how they must adhere to the code, and the code is that we don't kill bad guys, which is something I'm especially fond of. I've had many debates about it with people like Julian Finn, you know, you might have heard that podcast, um, you know, about why why Superman shouldn't kill, and people with that power who do kill, you know, demean their character. And so the end of the episode, which you would think would make me hate it, is that the son just flat out punches a guy's face in because he's threatening to kill his dad, the the Utopian, and he decides to do it. Um, and I'm perfectly fine with it because this is, you know, obviously an alternate take. Um, but you had a different, uh, you had a different take on it. You were like, uh, because, because of the power levels that were shown in this. Yeah. So at the very beginning of the pilot, um, there's a scene where the utopian son, Brandon, whose superhero name is the Paragon, um, is out on his own. He's off the reservation. He's going to fight some crime. And uh, the the situation is a robbery that is being perpetrated by basically a criminal lady version of Iron Man. Like, she's got a suit of techno armor, and she's going to hold this place up. And he gets epically pummeled by this person. Um, like, embarrassingly beat up. When his father finally shows up to save him at the end of the fight, the look of disdain on the Utopian's face for the degree to which Brandon has been, like, absolutely knocked into the floor is, like, as a kid, that would be a crushing look to receive from my father. Um, like, he, he, he is he is not a proud papa in that moment. He's, um, he's, he's uh, Immortan Joe. Mediocre! Yeah, and, but there's this bit where the villain is monologuing. And she goes on this rant about how Paragon, you know, he's not his dad. He's not uh, his sister. He's not even as strong as his mom. And he's just over his head in this conflict. And then you flash forward 45, 50 minutes later to that fight scene at the end where he punches a character who is the stand-in in this universe for Darkseid in the face so hard that he shatters his face. And that discrepancy between who he appears to be and why everybody is disappointed in him and what he winds up doing when it's necessary for the plot is never, ever explained. I forgive he just, it. He just can't, and then he can. And we have no idea why. <laughs> I forgave it and explained it, even though I, I think we agreed that um, that there should have been a line to pay heed to this. But I, I, I saw it as... So you have Omni-Man. Is, is it... No, the Utopian. Not Omni-Man. The Utopian, that's, yeah. that's invincible. You have the Utopian, and he has this ability that you see in later episodes. Like, he has all of Superman's power, except for the heat vision that's blue. He's just No, he has heat vision. It's blue. Yeah, no, I see. Yeah, he has all okay. the powers except for Superman, except for his heat vision is blue. Oh, okay, uh, as okay. opposed to red, right? Yeah. So he has he has all the powers of Superman, and you see him like this guy tries to teleport away from him, and he zips across the entire country in an instant. He is essentially in so super powered, he's a god. 
Um, and he's going toe-to-toe with this dark side character. And uh, he's getting a bloody mouth, and he's he's uh, whose you know, who's like name whose name, by the way, I believe it. Yeah, it's Black Star. Black Star. That's right. Yes, <laughs> very Bowie. Um, but so yeah, the, he's whooping this dude that that can travel the country in an instant, and and it doesn't track um, so much because you're like, why is he not going toe to toe with this dark side character? So I see why you're like, he wouldn't be able to punch his face in. But I think, given the way the character has acted, my my take on it is that he's holding back, even though he knows he's losing the fight, because Black Star, uh, better that Black Star kills him than he kill Black Star. And so his son is like, to heck with that noise, I'm not going to let you die for a principle. And then, you know, he's the one that stops holding it back. But I think that this entire group... For the most part, it's safe, except the ones that get killed. You know, they're the they're the third stringers. I think the entire family there, like the family unit, the mother, the father, the the yeah. utopian. The, I think they all have the ability to end the fight in one punch, and it's just a choice on the son's part, as opposed to I, I think that 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 um, yeah, the, the utopian are- brainwave. Uh, what's the mom's name? It's uh, Lady Liberty. Yeah, it's uh, all so so very very on the nose and and uh, irrelevant largely that I don't even pay any attention to the names. Yeah. It's not like like I don't need to know the names like I need to know John and Clark and Lois. Um, but that's because the story is not about who these people are as much as it is about the situation, which is fine. You know that story I'll, can be. Well, that. we'll talk more about this once you've finished it, and I can talk yes. clearly about about what happens. I'll I'll say this about it to anybody who wants to watch the series and then follow along with us. Um, it makes me simultaneously disappointed in what we got and excited to hopefully see a season two of it. Indeed, and I'm I'm I am eager to see where it goes, and I will know more and have finished next week, and then we can uh, put a capper on it for sure. Last thing I want to talk about before we part for the evening, and we don't usually do this, but uh, I feel it merits attention, is the fine folks at Screen Junkies released their Honest trailer on YouTube <laughs> for the DC Extended Universe, and it was a thing of absolute glory. Um, and in particular, there's a moment where they they call out Marvel as being the solid B student and DC being like the quirky goth chick that sat beside you in <laughs> chem class and never did anything uh, by comparison, um, which was particularly apt. Um, but yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a, a fair takedown of the entirety of the DCEU, which appears to be a complete done unit at this point we don't know what the future it holds in store but we're looking to move forward with a different batman a possible flashpoint reboot of the entire universe (laughs) and news today that uh disney may be buying warner discovery in some weird merger deal so folks we may actually get to see dc movies done by the house of mouse (laughs) Yeah, a good Superman movie, perhaps, in our future. 
Hey, listen, again, I maintain that Man of Steel was not a bad Superman movie. Well, you it know, it could just... have been a great, if you read the articles today, it could have been a great movie if the studios had only supported Zack Snyder's visions. Like, I mean, <laughs> like they only gave him like a billion dollars in production budgets and, and a re-release of almost every cut of every movie that he's done. It's clear that he's been stifled that's led to the movie's total, total creative, Total creative control. He's like that jock that fumbles the football at the game and then it's like, oh, it's just because I didn't have the right gloves on. Give me another although, set of downs. Although I did learn something from that uh, honest trailer of the DCEU that made a whole bunch of this make sense. I did not know that the uh, DC Extended Universe's equivalent to Kevin Feige over at Marvel uh, was in fact Steve Mnuchin, Donald Trump's uh, Secretary of the Treasury. And and that makes uh, a whole lot of sense for some creative choices in hindsight. <laughs> I always every time he's mentioned, I always drop back to John Oliver and last week tonight and the way that he he just points out how sexy Steve Mnuchin is because he looks like John Oliver. It's just, yeah, yeah, it's a great ongoing bit. But yeah, yes, yeah, that's, that's right. uh, yes. Go check it out. Um, and you know we'll uh, talk what, about yeah. And watch Jupiter's Legacy along with us and uh, cross your fingers that if Disney does wind up buying Warner Discovery, as it appears they might, that uh, we might finally get some Age of Amalgam live action stuff in our lifetimes. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get Space Jam with Darkseid and Bugs Bunny. You watch. We'll, we'll, right. we'll finally get the answer to the question, who would win in a fight between the Hulk and Superman? <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> and, and on that note, on that note, I will I will say that uh, that it has been a pleasure speaking, and uh, I will uh, I will be there for you next week, uh, rambunctious, unfunny as ever, and uh, likely um, angry about something. I, 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 it has been a pleasure, Julian. As always, a pleasure. We'll see you folks next week, and uh, yeah, hopefully we see a little bit of a of a of a correction in storytelling. Uh, moving forward now that we've hit some major plot points. We shall see. We live in hope. Goodbye, Have everybody. Have a fantastic week, Neil. Have a great night, everyone. Take care. Well, hey there, all you super cat coes and kittens. I'm not going to ask you to like or subscribe or add us on Facebook or Twitter because, frankly, I just don't care. Julian might, but you'd have to ask him. I am, however, an independent writer of novels, comics, and reviews. I don't get paid for that, and I've been doing it steadily for 21 years. If you like what I do, and if you can, your support would mean a world of difference in my life. I have a website where you can find my books, neilbailey.com with an A in the Neil, N-E-A-L, not an I, and I have a Patreon where you can get exclusive early access to everything I do along with free copies of all my books and comics along with every new book and comic I make as they come out for the price of a coffee. Get yourself on over to www.patreon.com slash neilbailey and tell them Neil sent you. Thanks for listening.